0: For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is the refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Put no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this: that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work.
1: Awesome. Thanks, you guys. So to start off our time, I want to share with you guys a story about, uh, it's a true story, uh, in 18th century England, in a small village called Blagdon, there was a an reformed Anglican pastor by the name of Augustus Toplady and uh, toplity was uh traveling by foot one day in in near the village that he pastored in uh and he was lot, walking alongside the gorge in uh the Burrington Comb. and if the, a gorge if you don't know what that is is uh it's kind of like this really narrow valley so it's either usually these high mountains or typically a high rock uh that covers each side and there's t- usually you know like a small creek uh that that runs down the middle of it uh and uh toplity was walking in this gorge. It was a long, narrow gorge uh, when this nasty storm hit. Uh, In the late afternoon, early evening, the storm hit. And the problem was, Toplity, had still, still quite a way to go before he could exit the gorge. And so when he started running, when the storm came and the storm started to beat down on him harder and harder and he was getting soaked uh, and, and and the creek was kind of rushing through, um, he realized uh, that he wasn't going to make it to the end of the gorge. Uh, and so he's kind of looking around and uh, he, he, he sees this big rock with a gap in it. And so he took shelter inside that rock until the storm just moved on. And it was there while he was waiting in that rock, while the storm was beating down, uh, when he just had no idea, when is this storm going to end? It was there that he was struck with almost like this fresh realization, this fresh perspective on how Christ is a refuge for us. Uh, when we're struck uh, with a raging uh, storm. When life hits us hard, how Christ is really sort of this refuge for us, how he is a rock that spans the ages, how our true hope uh, is Jesus, who's always been there. He spanned the ages from eternity past, and he'll be there, and he'll be faithful till the end of the age. And uh, in that moment, When Toplady was kind of having this epiphany, this realization, while he was hunched over uh, in the gap of that rock with the storm raging just a few feet away from him, while he was safe in that rock, he took out uh, a a piece of paper from his coat and a pen, and he started scribbling down some words. Those words would eventually develop into uh, a hymn. A song, an old song called Rock of Ages. We just sang it a moment ago. It starts with those words, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. So this is a hymn that has stood the test of time. It was originally published in 1775, uh, but it's still sung in churches today. It even inspired, you know, that famous oil painting by, um, Johannes Ortel, uh, the German, uh, 19th century German painter. Uh, you've probably seen this image, uh, copied and repeated like in traditional tattoo art and in other places, uh, in platforms. Now, now, now what does this story? This whole idea of the Rock of Ages. What does this have to do with anything we're talking about this morning? It's because we're actually launching a new teaching series this week that we are very appropriately calling Rock of Ages, where we're going to look at some of the wonderful attributes of God and consider why we can call him or consider him a rock of ages, so to speak. We're going to look at uh, attributes of his nature and of his character that would really just do us well uh, to meditate on during these strange times. Uh, Attributes of his that might serve as a sense of safety and security during this COVID-19 era that we live in. Now, those of you that have been with us know that we just finished a series called "Faith Over Fear," where we talked about how what it looks like to put place our faith in God over our fears, anxieties, and frustrations that we have uh, in this current moment. Uh, And we've said, you know, you just gotta. uh, uh, One of the things we said is that, um, man, we 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 need to turn our eyes to the Lord remind ourselves, rehearse the faith that we have in Him. And so what we're going to do with this new series is we're going to build on that foundation, build on that foundation and and really just talk about uh, and be- get better acquainted with the God that we've been telling you to turn your eyes toward. So I want you to look really quick, just to launch off the series, I want you to look at a couple verses here in, in Jeremiah chapter 9. Uh, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. You see, here is the challenge, the word from the Lord for us this morning. It's that the one thing that we should boast in, in other words, the one thing that we'd say, uh, you know, this is what my life is for, this is what gives my life purpose, the one thing we should boast in is knowing God. It's truly knowing Him and loving Him. And so with that, I want us now to turn to Psalm 13. Chap, or psalm 62, psalm sixty two, uh, which is where we're going to be for uh, this morning. We're going to uh, sort of pull apart this entire psalm. It's 12 verses. Um, so why don't I pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and look at this psalm. Uh, Lord God, thank you for this opportunity. We have to just open your word together. Uh, Lord, we need you, and we need to hear from you. We need your word. We need the refreshment of the gospel to be reminded of who you are uh, to us, who you are for us, and all that you've done and accomplished in Jesus for us, who you are in every season of our lives. And so, Lord, would you just teach us now? Teach us to, to go to you. Teach us to trust you, teach us to um just find you sufficient and safe and strong for us it's in christ's name we pray amen so now the first attribute that we're going to look at this week uh as we're in psalm 62 is the sovereignty of god that's the attribute we're gonna unpack this morning, the sovereignty of God. Uh, and, and here's how we're defining that. The sovereignty of God is this idea that God is in complete control at all times. Think of like royalty or a king, right? Uh, so sovereign, and so God is in complete control at, of, uh, at, at all times. There's no boundary to his dominion and no promise that won't come to pass. Now we see these truths uh, really break down for us in Psalm 62. Uh, You'll notice the Psalm has three different stanzas, and so we're going to look at each one and that'll give us three points. Uh, First, that the sovereignty of God is something we can trust in, then we're going to look at how the sovereignty of God is something worth proclaiming, and lastly, we're going to look at how the sovereignty of God is something strong enough to stand on. Alright, so let's talk about that first point, uh, that the sovereignty of God is something that we can trust in. The sovereignty of God is something we can place our trust in. Look at Psalm 62, that, those, uh, first four verses. That first stanza, it says, uh, I'll just read it. It says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless him with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. See, David, he's the one writing this Psalm. And if you're any, if you're familiar with any of King David's life, you know, uh, that, that, that he went through a lot of storms in, in his life. And it seems here in Psalm 62 that he's going through another brutal storm, a raging storm. So this is a hard season of life for you right now with everything going on. Like I want you to find comfort in the fact that even men like David, the king of Israel, the chosen king, walked through hard seasons of life. I mean, for his entire adult life, people were constantly hunting him down, trying to push him down. He lived as a fugitive for years and years, fleeing from Saul, hiding out in caves, uh, going hungry and thirsty. As king, uh, he found himself leading armies uh, uh, against uh, these nations that were trying to plunder and dominate them. Uh, and to make matters worse, he lived, David lived through the incredible heartache of being betrayed by close fam, family and, and friends. I mean, even a son of his uh, uh, conspired uh, against his life. And these are all the kinds of things that are going on with David. When he asks out loud in frustration, <coughs> verse three, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall a tottering fence so the picture he gives us is is one of of this large group of people who are trying to push David down. They're conspiring uh, against him and he feels like a wall that's leaning over too far or like a tottering fence, he calls it. And if you've ever seen like a, a leaning building, uh, like maybe when it, when a, a building demolition or at a much more micro scale, if you've ever played like the game of Jenga, right? You know that uh, the structure can lean and totter. It, it, it might be feeble and shaky, but There's always this one point, a breaking point, where when it gets to that point, if it goes too far, everything's going to just topple over, just fall over. David's saying, man, there's people that are uh, up against me and and they're making me feel just like that. They're making me feel like a leaning wall or like a tottering fence, like I'm just going to break. And man, maybe some of you this morning are... Uh, feeling like that during this current cultural moment you might not have physical enemies trying to backstab you or curse you as verse four says but but we still have in some sense enemies that threaten to tear us down I mean, just the very fallenness of the world that we live in is in opposition to us. In some sense, it's an enemy of us. Just the fact that we live in a world that is marked by evil, by sin and sickness and death, it just takes a toll on us. Or maybe you're tempted to say things like, God doesn't care and he's not involved and he can't do anything for me or, or your own voice is an enemy to you. And we we also have to talk about the fact that the Bible says that that we even have a spiritual enemy. We have a spiritual enemy in the devil. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse eight says, uh, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, check this out because this is significant. Notice that this is not the devil as a serpent or the devil as a bat, but the devil as a lion, a ferocious beast. That tells us, you know, he doesn't just come to whisper lies to you or to just shame you or to just tempt you. He's ultimately out to devour you. And so Peter says, you gotta be watchful, you gotta be sober-minded. There's never a day that this enemy takes off. And so we've got this spiritual enemy, we've got our own flesh, uh, the concerns of this world as all opposition to us, as attacking us, battering us, to this point where we feel like that tottering fence. But I want you to learn from David and, and see how he handles himself in this moment. We actually saw it in the first couple verses. Let's, let's look at the first one, uh, first. It says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Now, what does he mean by that when he says wait in silence? It's when you trust God without murmuring or grumbling. There were generations of Israelites before David, long before David, his forefathers, that grumbled while they were traveling in the desert. I mean, God had just delivered them from generations of slavery under uh, Egypt's Pharaoh. But then just because they have to travel from there, from Egypt through desert, they're like, Ugh, it's hot, it's dry. They're murmuring and they're grumbling. And they're saying to Moses, why did you send us here? Why are we here? It's stuck in this desert. And David here in Psalm 62, he's saying, look, I'm not going to be like that. He's saying, I- I'm going to wait in silence. I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to grumble or murmur against God. You see, David knows that God is in control or that God is sovereign, that he's in control, that he has all the power and he's also good. And because he's good and sovereign, David knows that God is his only true help. William Plumer, the 19th century Bible teacher and commentator, he once said, True piety, which is, means devotion, finds God and pronounces God all-sufficient true spiritual devotion, true piety, finds God. In other words, seeks after Him and then pronounces God all sufficient. That's what David is saying, himself is saying here in in verse two, when he says, he alone, this God that I'm waiting for in silence, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Now I want you to notice something here it is a gift of God's mercy to work in our hearts and to bring us to this place where we start to realize that he is our only hope because our natural inclination is to go to all these other things her hope in salvation but those are things that will just just fail us and and leave us wanting and so it is God's mercy to bring us to this place, to where we realize that he's our only hope. And David here, that's what he's doing. He is trusting in God's goodness and sovereignty. Point number two, the sovereignty of God is something worth proclaiming. The sovereignty of God is something worth proclaiming. Now, in the first uh, four verses that we just looked at, we saw how David's hope was one that was silent and that it didn't murmur or grumble. But we're gonna see in these next few verses that that, that we should not stay silent, that this truth, the truth that God is sovereign, is something that we need to proclaim. Look at verse five with me. It says, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in him. Now, when he says, when he says, oh, my soul, that's like David's way of saying, hey, look, self, you got to listen. Self, there's something you need to hear. It's like he's preaching to himself. He's proclaiming truth to himself about the sovereignty of God. It's like he set up this clinic uh, in this verse in order to care for his own soul, to preach truth that he really needs to hear. I remember this moment where we kind of had to do this uh, last year. Um, about this time last year, uh, my wife and I, Alyssa and I, we found out that uh, our our daughter Geneva um, had uh, this issue with her with her heart. Um, and man, It was crazy like uh, we, we they found this uh, irregular this irregularity with her heart this congenital heart defect that we didn't know that she she had and they they, they ordered an MRI because uh, they wanted to, uh, you know, just see if it was anything to be concerned about anything that would require surgery. Man, when we when we heard that, when Alyssa and I heard those words, um, <laughs> these questions just started running through our head. Like, like, man, what if Geneva does need heart surgery? What are the risks involved with that? Are we gonna be okay? Is she gonna be okay? How is this gonna affect her life? How is this gonna affect our lives? And, and then we just found ourselves in this place where we just had to preach truth to ourselves. We had to preach the gospel to ourselves and just say, hey, look, hey, we've, we're going to be okay. God has got us. He's in control. He's sovereign and He is for us. He's not against us and there is nothing that He can't get us through. This is not taking God by surprise. We had to preach these truths to ourselves and then we found out that she did need open-heart surgery. And on the day of the surgery, those questions started to swirl around our heads again. And and I found myself having to preach God's uh, truths and his promises to myself again. You see, that's what David is doing here. Reminding himself of the only true source of hope. Verse 6 and 7. It says, for he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My re- mighty rock, my refuge is God. Now there is a principle here that we need to not miss. A principle that we need to not miss. It's that your knowledge of God is the vessel of that will take you to find refuge in God in the middle of your greatest trials. And so what you know about God, your knowledge of Him, your knowledge of His attributes, that is sort of the vessel that will take you uh, to find refuge in God. It is the boat that will take you to find refuge in God in the middle of the storm. Like, you you, you can't take refuge in, in, in something that you don't know. You can't take refuge in a God you don't know. You can't take refuge in a God that you don't know is sovereign. And see, this is why we need to spend time with God in His Word, so we can get better acquainted with Him, so we can get to know His character and His attributes, the things that are true of Him, we can get to know those better. David was a student of God's word. He knew the attributes of God. He found refuge in God's revealed promises. And you know what? Believers today, you and I today, can find the same thing. That in the middle of a stormy season, the promises of God, the truths of his nature, can guard us and protect us. Promises like Lamentations, uh, chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, which says, The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Or Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you be not dismayed for i am your god i will strengthen you i will help you i will uphold you with my righteous right hand or first peter 5 after you have suffered a little while the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you or matthew twenty eight ten: behold Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. There are thousands and thousands of more Bible promises just like these. Promises that are places of refuge that we can flee to when we're feeling vulnerable or afraid or anxious or um, like, like a tottering fence. That's what David is modeling for us here what it looks like to run to those promises but then David transitions from proclaiming the truth of God's sovereignty to himself to proclaiming that same truth to you and me so he says in verse 8 trust in him in God at all times O people pour out your heart before him god is a refuge for us now is david contradicting himself here like early he he earlier he said you know wait for god in silence but now he's saying you got to pour out your heart to god so is he contradicting himself the answer is no no, because remember earlier, yeah, the, the type of waiting and silence he's talking about is, is, is where you don't grumble or you don't murmur. Uh, but we should make some honest noise when it comes to, to talking to God uh, about our cares and our concerns. We should make an honest noise when it comes to that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that we should cast our anxieties onto Him, onto God, because He cares for us. You see, He invites us to cry out to Him, to pour our hearts out to Him. You see, if you want to stand secure in God as your refuge, then you got to do a few things. You got to trust in Him. You got to Speak truth about him to yourself. Uh, And you also got to pray to him, to pour your heart out to him, to tell him when your heart is troubled, tell him your circumstances are challenging, tell him that you're afraid, that you're discouraged, that you feel like you're going to to topple over. This is why in some sense, we you know, like we said, it is a gift of God's mercy to be brought to this place where where you start to see that God is your only real hope. There's nothing in the world that compares to the sweet comfort of truly knowing God, the sweet comfort of being and drawing near to Him. Now I want you to see something here. If you look at the whole psalm, You'll see that this psalm is actually split into three different stanzas. The first stanza is where, you know, verses three and four are at, and it talks about his circumstances and his adversaries. But then you get to the second stanza, uh, which we've been talking about, at uh, verses five through eight. And where are those enemies? You don't see them. In verses five through eight, you don't see them in the second stanza. See, that's what happens when you just get so lost in God, so just overwhelmed by his attributes. Like suddenly those adversaries that were right there with him, uh, uh, with David, were making him feel like he was gonna topple over. Like now in, verse, uh, in, in the second stanza, they are no consequence to him because he's gotten lost and overwhelmed, overwhelmed in a good way in the power and the sovereignty of God. David has learned of the God that he can trust and be secure in and now he runs to him. Now there's a third stanza where we find our third point, that the sovereignty of God is something strong enough to stand on. Read verse nine and 10 with me. It says those of low estate are but a breath those of highest state are delusion in the balances they go up they are together lighter than a breath put no trust in extortion set no vain hopes on robbery if riches increased set not your heart on them now what is david talking about here he's he's saying that uh it's he's like almost like measuring up the the people who are a threat to him his adversaries he's saying Look, some of them are lowly, like they're these low lifes who are always trying to take advantage of others, but some of them are actually like highly esteemed. They're people of power. But he says, look, if you take all of those adversaries, you put them on one single side of the scale and you compare them to God, Man, they don't even compare. They don't even come close to measuring up. They're lighter than breath. God is so much more powerful than they are, so much more in control and sovereign than these are. The idea is that the threats to our faith and joy in this world are just like a breath, just like a vapor, David says. They have no real substance, they have no real power, but God does. He's got the real power. Look at verse 11 now where he begins like this two-fold declaration. He says, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, which is an old way of saying, look, here's a truth that I've heard before and I really wanna tell you about. He says, power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. Now, this is David expounding on the bigness and the greatness of God, that God has all the power in the universe, that he is the sovereign one. David's like, look, I've heard this before. This has been taught to me. It's meant a lot to me, and now I need you to know this. I want you to be comforted by this. Power belongs to God. He is the sovereign one. Now man, when you look around the world, you might be tempted to think, it doesn't look like power belongs to God. Like you might look around and think, it doesn't look like power belongs to God in Washington DC right now. It doesn't look like power belongs to God when I turn on the news. It doesn't look like power belongs to God when we just look around the world. But David says, look, let me tell you a truth that I've heard, a timeless truth, one that cannot be undone. Here it is. Power belongs to God. I want you to remember, David is, he's surrounded by vicious adversaries, by scary circumstances. And you might be tempted to assume, he might be tempted to assume in that moment that, that, that they're the ones with power that they're the ones with control the ones who are a threat to him and so by the word of god david has a needed reminder to declare he declares it to himself he declares it to us he says look don't be swayed by appearances don't be fooled by your feelings i want you to learn what i've learned that all authority and power and dominion in heaven and on earth is god's all, uh, all sovereignty belongs to Him. And here's the real beauty of it. The real beauty of it is that it doesn't even just stop there. It doesn't stop with this declaration, this final declaration that God is in control and that He is sovereign. There's another side of the declaration that He wants to turn our attention to in verse 12. He says, And that to you, O Lord, Belongs steadfast love. And so this is a single saying, it goes together. He says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Now that word for steadfast love is a beautiful word. It's this Hebrew word, chesed. Chesed, it's a powerful word. It's the word for God's covenant love, an unbreakable love, God's covenant love that he has for his people. It's a word that conveys a love that is unbreakable, a mercy that is unfading because it's rooted in God's character, in his covenant promise that he's made to his people that just cannot be broken. And so while the world reels from the effects of sin and the entropy of the world as everything starts to break down, we know that there is one thing that is constant, one thing that is steady, one thing that is stable and permanent and unbreakable, God's love for us. If you're gonna trust in the Lord, then you need to know those two things that He is powerful and that His love is steadfast. You need to know that God is powerful and that His love never fails. You need to see both the power and love of God and His sovereignty, both His might and His mercy. You see, when you see both of those things, then and only then can your soul begin to find comfort and security with God. Like if you know that God is loving, but you don't know that he's powerful, you might be like, okay, yeah, like that's great that he loves me. But can he do anything with that love? If you know that God is powerful, but doesn't love us, then you don't know if he's for you, if he's for your good. But David says, look, no, this one thing I know, power belongs to him and his love is steadfast. I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones describes that wonderful word chesed in her children's uh, Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, Here's this quote from her. She says, most of all, the Bible is the story capital S story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them and how in spite of everything, no matter what, whatever it costs him, God won't ever stop loving his children with a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I love the way she describes Chesed. His love is a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is chesed. You know where we see both the sovereign power of God and the sovereign grace of His love? We see it all throughout the scriptures, but we especially see it pronounced in the cross of Jesus Christ. There's one thing that we cannot say when we look at the cross. We can't say that God doesn't care. We can't say that he doesn't love when we look at the cross. You see, in his power, in the power of his love, he came down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and suffered in our place to save us from our sins and to bring us back to him for all eternity. Find comfort in that this morning. You see, this is why we sung those words in the chorus of Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, no one takes your life, yet you died that I might live. He's saying, Jesus, no one takes your life, yet you gave up your life. You died that I might live. Costly grace you freely give. Rock of Ages, you paid the price. You were cleft, which means severed, to cover me. Let me hide myself in thee see it is you see it is only in jesus the true rock of ages the king of the cross where we see that there is no boundary to god's dominion and no promise of his that won't come to past and so wait for him Wait silently for Him. Trust in Him. Pour out your heart to Him and know that He is powerful and that He is good and that He is for you and loves you. Amen. Thank you
0: for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations, or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.